Turn up your volume. Because you're about to listen to The Sick Podcast. The Eye Test with Pierre McGuire and Jimmy Murphy. The Stanley Cup winning Colorado Avalanche. And after 22 years, Raymond The Sickest NHL Podcast. It's going to be sick. Hey, Jimmy Murphy here with Pierre McGuire on the eye test on the Sick Podcast Network on a on-campus Friday. That's right. We're back with our college special here on Fridays on the eye test. And uh, we're hoping to track them down. We should have uh, Jim Madigan, the athletic director of Northeastern University. And, of course, longtime hockey coach as well there, Pierre. And a longtime NHL scout in between his coaching stints uh, at Northeastern. Won a Stanley Cup with the Pittsburgh Penguins in 2009. Uh, so really looking forward to talking to Jimmy. Yeah, we are, absolutely. You know what, he's one of the visionary in college hockey right now. And when you really think about what he's done as a player at Northeastern, as a coach at Northeastern, learning from Fernie Flamin, uh, learning from Don McKenney, he actually started his coaching career at the University of Vermont as an assistant to Mike Gilligan. So uh, lots of different stories I'm sure will come from Jimmy, but he was really a guy that, uh, I worked with for many years back in the 1980s at hockey camps and in different situations around the Boston area. And uh, I just love the way he thinks about the game. He really is a thorough thinker of the game. Yep. And a great guy, too. Really fun guy to talk to. So Sometimes. Fun to, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, it depends. In, the, in a setting like this, I think he will be. He's, <laughs> He's good as Mad Dog for a reason. <laughs> And, uh, you know, ironically, too, you, you mentioned Vermont there. They're playing Vermont tonight. Uh, that is Northeastern University will be up in Vermont. That game's on Nesson for all our New England viewers here if they want to tune in. Um, but before we get to well, we wait for him. Oh, by the way, too, Pierre, just got a nice message from um, Kevin Paul DuPont. So he says he's in for next week on Press Box Thursday. Excellent. So we will have Kevin Paul DuPont of the Boston Globe. And we're Jewish wishing him well. Kevin was dealing with some uh, physical ailments, and we're hoping yes. he's doing great. He's feeling much better today. Uh, tests were good, so everything good on his front. So uh, we look forward to talking to Dupes next week. Yep. But, here, let's look back on the NHL night last night. Uh, very crazy, fun, up-and-down, roller coaster ride like they all seem to be every uh, hockey night these days. And, um, you know, we were looking one game that both of us were watching in the uh, seven o'clocks was the Islanders and the Maple Leafs. Uh, and, you know, this was just another game that encapsulates the issues with the Toronto Maple Leafs. No one's arguing that this team can't outscore you. But the problem is, uh, you know, when it gets down to the nitty gritty, as it's now doing, as we get into the dog days of the season here and then into the stretch run, we all know it becomes defense and goaltending and, you know, survival of the fittest when it comes to staying healthy. Um, and, and Pierre, I mean, they go up three, one on the Islanders in long Island looking great. Austin Matthews is ripping it. Uh, let's go to those clips first before we get into the bad for the Leafs. Listen, to these great two goals from Austin Matthews. Part of the second loops in front. Matthews scores. On a backhand that squirted to him, he shovels it past Sorokin, and 26 ticks into the second. The Leafs lead, and it's number 32 for AM 34. Back check by Pierre Engvall there, showing his speed through the neutral zone, coming back. Dobson turned it over. Matthew scores again! Off a giveaway. He's got two in the first three minutes of the second. So, look, Pierre, make no mistake. I mean, I think you agree with me. This guy's having a monster season. What he's doing is amazing. He's doing it with such authority. Yeah. No, he is. He's one of the best scorers in the National Hockey League. Obviously, his goal total will speak to that. But in terms of pure scoring, you, you'd have a hard time arguing. He's not the best guy in the league when it comes to pure scoring. I know people in Florida say, well, what about Sammy Reinhardt? I know people in Edmonton say, what about Connor McDavid? I know people – down in, uh, you know, Colorado are going to say, what about Nathan McKinnon or Mikko Rantanen? You know, I mean, so everybody's got their own guy that can score. We get that. But Austin Matthews probably is the best pure goal scorer in the National Hockey League right now. And I see nothing against Kucherov, nothing against Stamkos. Please trust me when I say that. But the truth is, is that he is probably the greatest game breaker in the game right now. Mm -hmm. And for Toronto, they got him. They got Mitchell Martin. Everybody knows Nylander, the murderers are all players they have. 
They can't defend Jimmy. I, I, they can say whatever they want. Look at their coach knows. Just check out what he said about yeah. the team after the game last night. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know? he, he said these were. This was his quote right off the top. I'm just looking at uh, uh, Luke Fox, great writer for Sportsnet. Uh, special teams were rotten tonight. Power play, penalty, penalty kill, overtime. That costs you games, Keith said pointedly. Power play had one chance and did nothing with it. It is bad. It's as bad as we've looked in any power play. And then penalty kill. It's in our net before you can even blink to start the game. And like Luke Fox said, he's not wrong. And and this is the problem is though, Pierre, as you and I were discussing, they're not going to be able to fix this on the free agent market going forward for years to come. It's going to have to be a flat out hockey trade and a trade that Brad Tree Living and the Maple Leafs and their fans don't necessarily want to make, but. That's the reality of the situation, Pierre. We're not going to speculate on players, but all I'm saying, it's going to be a guy they don't want to move because they need to solve this issue between the pipes and on the blue line, or they're not going anywhere. And it's it's going to be wasted year after wasted year of Matthews and Marners and Nylander's primes. Well, we've, we've already seen it, you know, you think about it. So the pressure was on in Pittsburgh. When Sidney Crosby was there, when he first got there, he was drafted in 2005. They went to the Stanley Cup final in 08. They lost to Detroit. They go again in 09. They win. So within mm-hmm. the first five years of Crosby, they'd been to two finals. Yep. The Toronto Maple Leafs with Austin Matthews, Mitchell Marner, and all these players, my, uh, William Nylander, how many times have they been out of the first round? None. A oh, one. Uh, that's right. One yep. time, last right. year. Yeah. Last year, one time. And they were life and death to get through. So. Yep. Look at you, what you just said, Jimmy, is so spot on. They're, these are all wasted years. Mm-hmm. They can celebrate all the money. They're making tons of money. We get that. Uh, but these are wasted years, and you're not going to have a whole lot left because Marner's going to be a UFA next year, and also Johnny Tavares is going to be a UFA next year. And if you look at their team in, in Toronto, their farm team, they're, they're adequate because they've got a big budget, but how many true A-level prospects do they have there? And I watch them a lot. Yeah. I wouldn't say they've got an overabundance of A-level prospects. They don't. They don't. And, and Pierre, the other thing I worry too, all right, and I, I don't know your thought. We have actually have never, and I'll just be honest with our listeners, we've never really discussed what we think of Sheldon Keefe. But I'm going to tell you right now, I I don't mind him. And I, I think overall, given – what he's been presented on that roster and, and the complete lack of defense and goaltending, I think he's done a pretty decent job. Me too. But I don't think he can do much more. I mean, honestly, Pierre, I don't think there's few people other than maybe our good friend Scotty Bowman uh, who could get get them out of this mess with his coaching. I mean, even Scotty, I'm sure if we spoke to him about this, it'd be like, ay, 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 when he looks at that defense. So it's, I, I feel like, unfortunately, okay, they're hamstrung because of the cap and things aren't changing. I, I just don't want to see him. And we're not speculating. I'm just saying this is what I feel because I like the guy. I don't want to see him end up paying a price because I don't think that would be fair at all. Well, if they don't get out of the first round this year, somebody's going to pay the price there. I'll tell you that I right know. now. And who is it all the time? Manager there. Exactly. So here's what I'd say. Guy Boucher is there. Guy Boucher is a tremendous coach. He, Guy Boucher is a really, really good hockey coach. Yep. So he's there helping as an assistant. Dean Chenault is there helping as an assistant. Dino's tremendous. He did a great job in Carolina. They just couldn't pay him. That's why he's in Toronto right now. Yeah. But, you know, you, you look at it. That's a good coaching staff. People can say whatever they want about Toronto's coach. But the coaching staff, hey, remember what I told you? Everybody's going to blame DJ Smith in Ottawa. Coaching staff's no good. They, really? How the new guys doing? Yep. <laughs> Sorry to laugh, but I mean, it's like, it's just, it's hard sometimes. I don't understand how they can't see this. And I know you can't fire a whole team. I get that. But sometimes you got it as a GM, as a, as a, you know, a, a management team, you need to just say, okay, this, this guy He's what we can get. We can get a lot for him, and it stinks that we're going to have to move him because he's a skilled player. But sometimes you got to do it, and you have to have the you know what to to make a move like that to change the course of things. And right now, it's just like, what's the definition of insanity, Pierre? Right, doing, doing the same over thing and over, over and over, and that is the Toronto Maple Leafs. And we can go back to 2017 when we're talking about this. We agree. So it's it's the same old thing, though. 
look at the teams that are hard to play against. And I know you've got this real good vision of what Vegas is about because they got the big trees in the back end. They're hard to get to the mm -hmm. net on. And they prove it night in and night out. They do. Like, that was a good character win against Boston last night. Oh, that was a really game. good character yep. win. Because they're coming off a game where they're not happy. They get shut out by Colorado, and they come back home. They, they want to prove to people that they're, well, we're for legit. We're good. We're, we're really good. Mm -hmm. um, you think Florida's fun to play against? Nope. They're not fun to play against. I mean, Tampa in their heyday, you think they were fun to play against? With no. Chernak and McDonough and, and Hetman, they're no fun to play. So all these teams – Morgan Riley is an elite player, Jimmy. He's an elite, guy elite, be elite player. Yep. He doesn't have a lot of help there. No. He doesn't, I mean, and I'm not picking on the other guys. Like Mark Giordano, you would have him any day on your team. But, again, <laughs> he's been on it a long time. Yeah. They need some young guys to play a Giordano game. That's what they need. Uh, yes, and they don't have those. So th this is the problem, anyways. And the yep. goal thing – Everybody, oh, we got Joseph. Joseph Hall is really good. Mm -hmm. But I'd like to know, like, what's he going to do in the playoffs? We don't know. I mean, you really don't know. Yep. yep sure. Until they play, you don't know. Well, I want to go to the other side of that game last night, and I want to play the overtime winner by Matthew Barzell because I've got some things to say about him right now because watch out. He's like, I really love what I'm seeing from him, not just in terms of offense. I'll get to it in a second, but let's play that overtime winner. Horvat's out there for the faceoff. One back to Dobson. Dobson for Borges! It's over! Set up, by the way, on an icing call. They get the offensive zone faceoff. It's a faceoff win. Noah Dobson recognizes. He gets that puck back. He takes a lot of shots from the point. And it's a good awareness from Noah Dobson to look and see that Matt Barzell has eluded his coverage, gets in the back door there. It's his backhand, a beautiful feed by number eight to 13. Four points for both those guys. And a huge win here at home at UBS. The crowd went nuts. Jimmy, the, the eluded defensive player is Jake McCabe. Jake McCabe's out there not for offense. Jake McCabe's out there for defense. And he gets mm -hmm. beat to the net by Matt Barzell. Yeah. Too easy, too. I mean, that can't ha like, that's no. just that's hockey one on one. I get it's three on three. When Jimmy Madigan comes on, he'll tell you, okay, you're the board side winger, you're the board side defenseman, you guys are together. You're that D man, you're taking that guy wherever he goes. It's three on yep. three. That's your guy. And you can't yep. let him get to the inside part of the ice, especially if the guy is Matthew Barzell. Yeah, and, so. and by the way, Pierre, he's quietly, nobody's really talking about him right now. But he has elevated his game, and he's out there. He, he's playing a strong two-way game the, recently. I mean, I don't. You probably watch him a little more than me, but the the times that I tune into Islanders games, I've been very impressed with the responsibility he's taken in his own end, as well as the offensive end. And you know, I look right now. Somebody was saying in the comment section, "Hey, people were counting out uh, Lou and the Islanders were in over their head." They're hanging around, Pierre. They're hanging around, and uh, Sweet Lou is always up to something. So uh, don't count them out just yet. Well, Lane Lambert, Johnny McLean, and Dougie Hooter, the coaching staff there, they deserve a lot of credit. They've done a nice job keeping that thing on the track. They really have, yep. number one. Number two, breakout year from Noah Dobson offensively and defensively, not mm -hmm. just offense, defense. I think a lot of that goes to Dougie Huda. Uh, who is a former player of mine. I'm really proud of Dougie. He's had a really good coaching career. Um, but the biggest thing to me when I'm watching the Islanders, Brock Nelson is that guy that nobody in the league respects, and that guy is a good hockey player. Brock he, Nelson is a really good hockey player. Yep. He's a glue guy. He's, he's constantly helping that team and factoring in on plays on the ice. And you talk about the coaching, Pierre. He Lambert made some great line changes in the middle of that game. Like he yeah. really adapted on the fly. I don't know if you noticed that, but that, oh, yeah, that was a factor in that game, man. Because once he did that, they were a different team. They were down three one, and then boom. And they got a lot of experience on the bench there. Johnny Mack's been a head yeah. coach in the NHL. He's been a head coach in the American yep. Hockey League. He's been an assistant in a lot of places. He's won Stanley Cups as a player. Johnny Mack's 
Like he's a tremendous hockey man. And Dougie Huda, we've already talked about him. And, and obviously Lane's been around Barry Trotz forever. So, you know, you just learn through osmosis. So it's pretty good. Yeah, for sure. And by the way, some news today, Pierre, we didn't even discuss this, but I wanted to bring it up to you too. Uh, Shane Pinto has set a return yeah. date. Uh, I believe it's January 21st. Uh, they're looking at that he'll return. Uh, that's great news for an Ottawa Senators team, but an Ottawa Senators team, Pierre, who, I mean, it's, you gotta be in cell mode now. You, if you're, if you're that management team, you gotta be in cell mode. You gotta start looking at the future. Um, I think Pinto's part of that future, uh, but they really start to really maybe make a list. All right. These are the guys that we see buying in and these are the guys that we don't. I would think is how they're going to approach the rest of this season heading into the deadline. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what Dave Poulin and Steve Stales and uh, Ryan Bonus decide to do there. Uh, I'm sure Jacques Martin will have some input too because he's getting to know the guys away from the ice. He's getting to know them on the planes. He's getting to know them on obviously in the dressing room. Uh, who's coachable? Who's not coachable? Who's got good attitude? Who doesn't? Um, not having Josh Norris hurts them. He got hurt the other day and. He didn't play last night in Buffalo, and he's not going to play tomorrow against uh, San Jose, which is tough for them. Uh, but, you know, I watched that game with Buffalo last night in the first 40 minutes. It wasn't good. I mean, it was that's about as poorly as I've seen Buffalo or uh, Ottawa play. It really mm-hmm. is. And then the third period, I got to give Ottawa four marks. They played really well in the third period. But they can't do it for 60 minutes, and I don't know why that is because, you know, those guys, are, they care. The one thing I'll say about the Ottawa players, I mean, then I know we got to get to Jimmy Madigan. Um, the Ottawa guys really care. They do. I know the fans don't believe that, but I've worked with those guys. I'm telling you, yeah. they really care. They, they do. do. It's just, like, it's a, it, there's something missing with the roster construction. That's all I'm going to say. And, and, Pierre, quickly, too, I'll just say, too, and I text this to you, and I'll, I'll divulge it to my listener, too. The way I'm looking at it, though, Pierre, like – they haven't really turned it around under Martin and they're, and they're still losing. And that, I know that stinks for those fans there. And I really feel for them and I feel for these players too. But at the same time, I almost feel like it could be a blessing in disguise because like you just said, the Jacques Martin's around them now. Stales is getting a good glimpse of this. Dave Poon. They're all really able now to see the core issues and the main issues that are going on. And maybe if they had turned it around Pierre and they went the other way, yeah, it would have been great, don't get me wrong, but you would have been back at square one in the offseason because you wouldn't have been able to identify all these things. So I just hope they're able to make a blueprint now of what they have to do going forward. We'll see what happens. All right, let's bring on uh, longtime Northeastern hockey coach, longtime NHL scout, and now the current athletic director at Northeastern University, Jimmy Madigan, joining us here on the eye test. Hey, Jimmy, how you doing? Murph, good to see you, Jim, and good to see you, Pierre, and you know, I was listening to uh, before you brought me on. Listening to to you guys, and of course, my my dad lives in Toronto. Mom and dad live in Toronto, right? And they're big Toronto fans. And Pierre and I both grew up in Montreal, and we moved to uh, my family moved to Toronto when I was fourteen. And you know, I get the Toronto Maple Leaf update. You know, one week they're they're having they're planning the Stanley Cup parade. The next week, you know, they're in the bottom, and we're not going to make the playoffs, right? But you talked about Dean Chanelth, and Dean and I are really close friends used to live at my place beginning of a season, the end of a season when his lease was, when his, his rental lease was up and, um, and I'm hoping for those guys to have a good, yeah. good season. Yeah, yeah. It's almost like, as we know, we live in the Boston area, you know, took the Red Sox 86 years and you know, that doom and gloom and that yeah. fan base in Toronto is, you know, is worthy and is anxious for a winner. So hoping that they can obviously have success. As you were just saying that, I swear to God, I was just thinking the same thing. I'm thinking pre-Red Sox, 2004, before that happened, we can relate here in Boston. I get it. So that's why I do, I got to say, and I know Bruins fans are going to hate me for saying this, but I do have a soft spot for their fans. Yeah. So the only thing that Pierre knows is my daughter's the AGM with the Devils. So anytime they, there's a game against the Devils, I'm always a Devils fan, but uh <laughs> love this to obviously see Boston do well and, and the Leafs, but – Great to hear you guys chat and uh, sure. enjoy listening to you. Uh, you guys have a history. Hey, yeah, I heard. Here's the only problem. I went to a real high school and he went uh-oh, to a Oh, here we go. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's it's already started here. You know, when Pierre went to a school, you know, just the elite of the elite, Jimmy, you know, it was Lower Canada College, LCC. It's kind of be like a Milton Academy. Or Belmont you Hill. Know? 
It, yeah, or a like, Belmont Hill. Belmont, yeah, yeah, exactly. Belmont Hill because it's all boys. I went to Loyola High School, which was all boys Catholic. We're probably two miles away from each other. Loyola High School would be like BC High. Okay. And you went from Loyola High School to Loyola College, which is now Concordia University in Montreal, right? Um, and they were on Royal Ave. We hated the boys on Royal Ave. Like this goes back, I'm 61. This goes back to playing them like 14, 15, 13, 14, 15. Yeah. And we never lost to them. I never lost to them. Danny McKinnon oh. was the executive assistant AGM for um, for the Devils. He's an LCC guy too, right? And so the Molson family, I think Jeff had went to his kids went to Loyola. You know, uh, a lot of the, the NHL people came out of Loyola High School. Oh. Um, you know, and um, the gentleman just passed away, who was the executive vice president, right? For a long time, was 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 O'Neill, um, and his his two boys went to Loyola High School. Um, Gary Mahar was with, with the NHL office as a chief marketing officer. So a lot of them, because the head office was in Montreal for the NHL for so many years. So, yep. but Pierre went, you know, we were just a poor Irish Catholic, you know, Italian kids in Loyola. And he was at the, you know, the prestigious little, you know, you know, up the, up, but, uh, you know, <laughs> great, was a great school. Speaking uh, of the Yankees, you're painting Pierre like he's the evil empire here. Right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> we were though. We were, by the way, and Jimmy knows we were really good in football and we were really good in hockey. So that's all I know. We were good in those sports, but I will say this about Loyola and, and Jimmy was part of it. They, uh, they played spirited hockey. They did. I will give them that. They were not nearly as good in football, but they were very spirited in hockey. Yeah. And we're, we're the, in the city, guys, just so I'm, like, trying to picture where that is in the city. NDG in Montreal West. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So, yeah, so I was in Snowden. Again, really poor oh, yeah. English, yo, know, Irish part of, of NDG. Um Pierre was town of Mount Royal. He was, you know, he was you know, <laughs> up on the mountain, West Mount, like a Beacon Hill type of thing. You know? <laughs> you know, I, I was his milk boy. My dad, I think, dropped off the milk or the mailman to, you know, Pierre. Uh, well, my cousins grew up in TMR, town of Mount Royal. So the they, Engblom's, right? What's yeah. that? Who, the Gordy Engblom? No, it was the Heffernans. Oh, the Heffernans. Okay. okay. Uh, they were my first cousins, so they were they were there. And uh, but they weren't with TM Town Mount Royal and NDG and Snowden weren't very far apart. And, yeah. and a lot of a lot of TMR kids came to Loyola, uh, yeah. so I went to school with a lot, including my cousins. You, you must know Honey Martin's then, Jimmy. Who's that now? <laughs> Honey Martin's pub. Honey, you ever go no. there in NDG? I, I, no, I, I don't know that. I mean, uh, you know, at the end day, I moved out of there when I was. Almost fifteen. I went back okay. afterwards and gotcha. Um, remember when I saw you downtown? We were down on um, we were we were either on on Crescent Street or over on Bishop Street. So I remember there was a few years ago, Crescent yep. there. Yep, um, at the draft. At the draft, and so there'd be places. Woody's was there, obviously Sir Winnie's, yeah. and a lot of those places that would I I'd head to when I was down. Small there. world, I guess. Yeah, yeah, it is. Uh, I still have a lot of friends and relatives in in, this, in Montreal. As a city. Well, look at the Montreal Canadiens are all built with northeastern players. Forget Chris Nyland, who used to be there. Yeah. Like Jane Struble, Jordan Harris, Caden Primo. Like, do you have season tickets now? So <laughs> Stu, it's funny you say that, Pierre, because Stu Cowan did an article at, in the Gazette that got published on uh, Tuesday this week, and we did the interview last uh, last week. And so Stu Cowan interviewed him. That's what the article was about, Pierre was about Struble and Kel Harris who were playing together and Primo, uh, mm -hmm. how they came out of Northeastern. I was a Gazette boy. I delivered the Gazettes, right? I and, did the Montreal start. And so I started there. Then I went to the morning morning side, right? But we had the star in the Gazette. Yep. And my my teammate at Loyola High School, um, was our, our goaltender was Tommy Burke, mm -hmm. whose father just oh, passed away. He was yep. Tim yep. Burke, longtime Gazette reporter, right? And yep. columnist and – the whole thing and so it was uh it was anyway so that's what a little bit of the article was all about and uh but when i was in montreal playing Loyola, tommy fergus who played for the bruins was my center yeah. and and Fergie and i you know, don't keep in touch as much but we were good friends and then and then i'd play for the ndg maroons our double a team and my center iceman was gordy donnelly who played oh, yeah. 
but then converted to more of a fighter. His hands were used for different reasons, right? Uh, (laughs) But like really, really tough. And Gordy's still scouting for, I think, Chicago, um, but a really tough nut. So I'd go back and forth between those two teams. And I was a small little peewee, you know, nut. And, uh, and Gordy, you know, even back then in, in peewee hockey, Gordy was a protector for all of us. Um, but yeah, good times in Montreal in those years. Good stuff. Jimmy, speaking of good times, you've been a living legend at Northeast. And I say that in all seriousness, I'm not messing around. Um, how much did Fernie Flamin mean to you and to your career? Yeah, you know, he's the legend. Um, you know, he was our coach for 19 years at Northeastern, right? And a Hall of Famer, um, you know, captain of the Bruins, you know, and won a Stanley Cup with Toronto and just an unbelievable man and, and his assistant and then became our head coach who I worked with also, Don McKenney. You know, the two of them were a pair for so many years. And with Fernie, you know, he had this big image of big, tough, burly, you know, defenseman and a physical defenseman. And, and besides being, you know, tough nose, he was, he could fight too. And, um, and when we were at Northeastern, you know, he, we, he didn't have to, he, he was just intimidating being himself. Right. Um, and back in the, you know, I started there and started here at Northeastern 81, you could do things a little bit, you could coach differently than you can now, you know, uh, so that intimidation factor was always there, but he treated us like men, right. And maybe gave us a little too much rope because he came from the pro game and I had some teammates and we probably, you know, pushed the envelope a little too much, but he treated us men. He wanted us to be successful on the ice, which, you know, we had good teams back then and we were successful uh, on the ice. But it was more about being a good person, being setting you up to be involved in your community, to be successful and as, as an adult, whether it be a job, whether it be a husband, whether it be as a father. And those were the things that were really important to him. And he created a family environment. We'd go to Fernie's house to, and Don McKenney's house and their, home, their wives would be there. And we'd co- come in with, you know, with our student, with our, our teammates. And w- my freshman year, we had three guys, two were married, one was engaged and uh, and they didn't have to be married. You know, they were married because, you know, we had a couple of Canadian guys who, who got married earlier. And um, and the wives would come, you know, and the fiancés would come. And it was such a family atmosphere. And that's what Northeastern hockey was all about. Um, and I was fortunate enough to coach with him. And then to realize when I was a pain in the ass when, when he was my coach, you know, why he was doing something. So I got to see the other side of it. And the same thing with yeah. Don McKenney. And, um You'll always remember this, Pierre, where, and you will know this, we're going up to play at Colgate. I was injured. It was my junior year, and they have Silver Puck Weekend up there, Silver oh, Stick, Silver Puck yeah, Weekend. Big, it's a big fundraiser. And Gordy Howe was their keynote speaker and was was there for the game. And wow. I come out of the locker room. Fernie's the last one. I'm following him. And Gordy's now going up the stairs, Pierre, to the press box. You know, the old building it's up there. Arena. Star yeah, arena. Star arena. And there's. Bernie and Gordy season. Now, so there's Gordy Howe. Oh, geez, there's Gordy Howe. Well, right? Get after one yeah, of from Saskatchewan. Both from Gordy Saskatchewan. Looks yeah, Gordy looks good. He's, you know, fit and Fernie and hey, and Fernie, Gordy sees Fernie. He goes, Hey, Fernie. And Gordy goes, And Fernie goes, Hey, Gord, how are you? You know, it's like, it's just like I'm talking, Hey, Jimmy, how, how, hey, Pierre. And it's like, Wow. Gordy Howe. Oh, you know, I mean, yeah, no big deal. Got, yeah, Don't you got Gretzky, you got Orr, you got Lemieux, you got Hal, right? I mean, those wow. are four pretty big faces, right? And then they start just, hello, for two minutes. We're getting ready to play. We're going. So they're talking for like a minute. And then, you know, I just follow Hal going up the stairs. And he's got a handler. And, and Gordy goes to his handler. He was some tough son of a bee. He goes, the toughest guy ever played against. Now, wow. we had had that in our Bernie's bio, you know, so I read about it, but now yeah. I'm actually hearing him talk about it, right? As I'm going up the stairs, Pierre, to the press box, which is at one end of the building, as you remember, Pierre, you know? and yeah. um, But just to see that interaction, right? And, so and to cool. see all the players that would come in when I was coaching with Fernie and Don that would come in before the games and Leo Boivan, you know, Boivan and all the guys, it was, it was just like... And they talk about their stories. And yeah, so they played Fernie was from 46 to 61. Don was from 55 to 69. And um, and they overlapped with the Bruins. So Don McKenney was in the top 10 in scoring four of his years with the Bruins. You know, yes. the guys in there here are some Canadians, you know, Dickie Moore, 
you know, uh, Jeffrey on how Bellavo Bathgate, I mean, top 10, you know, with those names, that was pretty impressive, right? And that was Don. And then, you know, Fernie was a different style player, but a heart soul type of guy. And, you know, as I said, captain of the Bruins, he tells one story, which was great. And, you know, Fernie was one of the few, was one of the guys that started up the, the, the player agency, the, the player, you know, um, association. And, he, they had to represent 16s, right? So they had Harvey, they had um, Lindsay, um, they're, they're, one of the Gatsby's, I think, was there. Fernie, they couldn't get Gordy. You know, Gordy was just, you know, he was probably part of the ownership. Well, that's why. Lin, that's why Lindsay was on it. Exactly. They, they wanted to get Gordy. They couldn't get him because Gordy was a name, right? And um, and they talk about it, right? And how they started moving it forward. So Fernie gets traded. Uh, Fernie's uh, playing for the Bruins, he's in Toronto. He hasn't been traded to Toronto, and he's in the penalty. Gets a penalty. He's in the penalty box, and um, and Stafford's old man Smythe is behind the owner, right? He's behind the, the penalty box, and he's a small guy, right? And he says, "Fernie goes, he yells, says to him, hey, Flamin, is the association going to get you out of that one?' Meaning the penalty." <laughs> <laughs> So that was it was different times back then, right? Fernie says then when he gets traded to Toronto, you know, he had a deal with Mr. Adams with the Bruins that if he had a good season, he'd get a bonus for a thousand dollars. It wasn't in his contract, and you know, but it was you know a handshake. So Fernie has a good season, they win the cup in Toronto. He goes in there to see you know Mr. Smythe, and everything was Mr. Right. I mean, you didn't, you know, there was no first name, Mr. And he tells him the whole thing, and Smythe takes off his glasses. He peers across. He's got this big, huge desk in front of Fernie and him. He goes, do you think I'm paying you out a bad season? He goes, get out of here. <laughs> uh, so you pick up some of those stories, PR. Yeah, but that's what Fernie was about, though. Yeah. You know, the same thing with Scotty. I can tell you this, Scotty Bowman. I mean, it's the same kind of thing. Jimmy, I have to tell you, all the yep. time I used to go scouting in Saskatchewan, you get off the plane and you drive from the airport to downtown Saskatoon and you see flaming fencing on the side yeah. of the road. That's wow. his family. That, yeah. I said to him, I said, Fernie, you have anything to do with that company on the road? And he goes, yeah, it's my family. I'm like, okay, I get it, I get it. And flaming both out of Saskatchewan. Pretty, too, too coffee yeah, coffee. pretty good. No. Like, think about it. Elmer Locke. Gordy Howe, Fernie Flamming, three Hall of Famers, all from Saskatchewan. I mean, it's just, it's, and that's back in the day when there were no roads in Saskatchewan. I mean, yeah, Saskatoon, eh? Jimmy, yep. why, and this is important, Jimmy Madigan, why is the bean pot so important in Northeastern? Let me, before you answer, let me just give you a stat. There's only one other person in hockey history that's done what you've done. Been a player to win the bean pot, been an assistant coach to win the bean pot, be a head coach to win the bean pot, and be an athletic director to win the bean pot. You know who it is? Billy Cleary. No. Who is it? Jack Parker. Jackie did when he was the okay. Yep. Yeah. I don't think Billy Cleary's been an assistant to anybody. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that's a good point. I think you might even, but that's a good point for a year. But, oh, but I know the JV coach more than the assistant. <laughs> yeah. So I, no, I, I want and Kevin Hampy was the assistant coach there forever at Harvard. And he did such a great job. Kevin Hampy did an amazing job. And Kevin, if you and he goes to all the Harvard games still. Yeah. Kevin watching. It was you did so many good things at Harvard. But anyway, Jimmy. Why is the bean pot so important in Northeastern? It's unbelievable. Yeah. And you know what? You said, Kevin, and this is probably going to weave this into my answer. His brother, Jimmy, played at Northeastern, right? Jimmy Happy. Um, hockey, I think maybe baseball. You know, you look at the bean pot and, you know, it's this tournament that's the first two Mondays in February. So it doesn't compete against anything else. It's the four schools that you can drive around the perimeter of the four campuses and probably – a half an hour, 20 minutes, and that's even getting stuck in some traffic in Boston. And as much as it is an athletic must, it's a social must. Yeah. It's a social must. So what are we starting on year 70, 71, whatever that is. So the four teams are competing for the city championships, right? Yep. The city championships. It's bragging rights in the city. But you have 
all the alumni coming of yeah. all the four schools, the Boston community comes in and supports it, right? Yeah. And the Boston community could have a family member or a friend or a cousin that went to one of the four schools. So they're sitting within their section, right? You, know, you look at the garden, the garden is split up in the into quads with each yep. school having a quarter of their student, you know, their, their, their university communities, including the four bands. And there's this history and tradition, not just to the game itself, but to the alumni. So yep. the alumni are, the alumni work with each other in, in whether it be financial services, whether it be in, in sales, whether it be in engineering, whether it be in retail. And so they have their own tradition. So you could, we'll just take Morgan Stanley, you know, um, you know, financial services or, or Goldman Sachs and the Goldman Sachs would be four guys from that get together every year. One's a BC, BU, B, Harvard, Northeastern guy. And they're going yeah. out as a tradition. They're going to North End for dinner. They're going to Faneuil Hall for dinner, right? Before yeah. the first night, and they're going to watch the game and there's bragging rights, right? You know, the, the former speaker of the house, at, you know, in, in, in Massachusetts is Bob DeLeo, Northeastern alum. He used to go to the game and he still goes to the game. He's on faculty here now. He'd go to the game with President Baker before it was Governor Baker, right? Who's a yeah. Harvard and they sit together at the game. You know, so those traditions are all there. And that makes the bean pot because they're going and it's a it's a social must. Then you think of the coaches, you know, and, and up until this year or two years ago, or Jerry, who's a big part of Northeastern, is not a Northeastern coach, but I was Northeastern, you know, you had, you had, you know, Albie, who was, was BU. Now it's Jay Pendolfo who was BU. You have Teddy, who's Harvard, right? He's coaching yeah. Harvard. You, you had Jerry and now you got Brownie, Greg Brown. So you've got that. We've all played in the bean pot as coaches, yeah. right? Before Albie. Jerry hasn't, but he's got his own history now to it. So there's that history to it, right? And chances are, as a player, your employer probably sitting in that building that night. I know it has been for me. Yeah. Right? I look at our two Northeastern assistant coaches, right? Their oh, employer, yeah. when they played, was, was in the building. Greg Brown's employer was in the building. Teddy Donato's employer was in the building, right? But even as you get out without our small little circle, you know, the, the North, their community, the people are going to hire them, whether it be financial services, investment, banking, whatever it is, you know, it's there. And then you got the four schools competing, right? All four good schools, right? For 28 years, we were we were you know Northeastern couldn't get off off the dime, right? We we did, and then did it well in the 80s, and then we struggled for another 30 years. And now mm -hmm. since 2018, we've been relevant, right? Harvard, you know, they won it in 17. They weren't relevant for a little bit. It was a BCBU, and now it's at the height of it again. Where all four schools are very good. Uh, sending players to the National Hockey League, right? So it's just not yep. a parochial tournament. These are great players playing on each of the four schools. You're seeing the future stars of tomorrow playing in the garden. The four school bands are there. The four university communities are there. You got 17-5 in the building, and it's rocking. It's on TSN. It's on the NHL Network. It's on Nesson. Nesson is our partner, does a great job. The garden does a great job promoting the event. It's a staple in the city of Boston, like Symphony Hall is for the, the holiday pops and for the Spring Fest, like opening night, opening day at Fenway Park, right? Boston Marathon, it Park. it's a big part of the fabric of the city of Boston. That's what makes it unique. That's what makes it special. It's great. It is. It's it's amazing, guys. I just remember going the first time with my dad, who's he went to BC. My parents are BC parents. There you go. And, uh, it was just. I'm looking around. I think it must have been about 11. And I'm looking around like, this is so cool. Like he said, just having that first Monday where all the schools are there and every band, it, it's, you have to, you, you got to get there. If you have a chance for all our viewers there, if you're in Boston at that time, ever get to this event. It's, it's one of the, I don't know. I mean, I have, you guys have traveled way more than me in terms of the hockey world. I don't know of another event that matches it, that you could kind of draw a parallel to. Exactly. Go ahead, Pierre. I was just going to say, back in the day, there was one event, the Great Lakes Invitational. That would have been the one. I don't think there's anything like the bean pot right now. But I wanted to touch base with Jimmy on this, Jimmy Murphy, and that is you talked about young players, the NHL and all that, the breeding ground. You and I used to run a thing called Europa Cup, and we had guys like Billy Garrett and Tony Amonti and Jeremy Roenick and Sean McKegger. We had a lot of good players come through our camp, right? Absolutely, yes. Okay. Yeah. We knew how good they were. 
Stevie Hines. Hines. Stevie Hines was there. Yeah, Stevie Hines, Marty McGinnis. Wow, we yeah. had a lot of good players yeah. come through there. Bobby yeah. Kellogg, a Northeastern guy, a lot yeah. of good players. Scotty Lachance, a BU guy. Brian Leach was pretty good. He played in it too. Yeah, yeah. So we had a lot of good players, Jimmy Murphy. I'm just telling you, Matt Dog and I, we had a lot of players. How good is Macklin Celebrini? Yeah, he's elite there. Um, you know, to think that he's doing it at age 17, right? I mean, age 17. And as you know, you know, you've been around and Pierre, you know, more in those in those rinks. There's a physical element, right? You know, a 17-year-old, an 18-year-old, a true freshman playing against a 23-year-old. And given the extra year COVID has, right, there's some 24-year-olds in the – there's many 25-year-olds. But you're right, right? And I see it, you know, in, in my new role as the athletic director. So there's elder, older people. This young man's doing 24. And he doesn't turn at 17. He doesn't turn 18 to just before the draft, or right around the draft time, yeah. I think, yeah, right? So I, I think he – so to think that he's doing that, the on-ice awareness – uh, the ability to find open ice pier. I've seen him once in person. It was actually against Quinnipiac. Um, I saw him. I wasn't there on Tuesday. I was I was traveling with North. With I North. know. I used your tickets. Thank you. They were very <laughs> useful. <laughs> my friend, Lucky Pierre McGuire. So, um, and you just saw him. But in person, he's impressive. And you know what? He wants the puck. He wants to make the play, right? He he demands the puck out there. You know, he expresses yeah. himself out there. And the physical part doesn't bother him. Yo, know, he knows they're hocking and whacking and chopping at him. He's got a great temperament, a great disposition on the ice that just says, hey, I'm here to make the plays. You know, if they want to take some shots at me, it's probably harder for him now. The next level, you know, he'll have people there that will, will take care of that for him. Yes, you know? um, and it'll be easier for him. Um but he, he's an elite player, special player. And, you know, I look at him. I, I didn't see Bedard in person at the same age, but I see some of the same attributes there, you know. Um, and this kid, he's not overly big like Bedard, right? He's probably a little yeah. bit taller than Bedard, but he's a special player. Um, yeah. well, he remind, I'll tell you who he reminds me of because I saw him at the same age, Jonathan Taves. I think oh, yeah. there's a lot yeah. of Taves there. And, and what I remember the most about Jonathan – he was an underage player, played in the World Junior in Vancouver. Um, and I was going, I wonder how he's going to do, because that World Junior team wasn't supposed to do anything for Canada. They yeah. had coming off the 05 team, and they were great. In 06, they were like, yeah, we'll see. Taves was such a difference maker as a young player. And it was like Celebrini this year, even though yeah. Canada didn't win. Celebrini was the best Canadian player by a mile. Yeah. By a yeah. mile. It's it's Taves, I saw Taves Pierre. It's a great – in 05 – it was my last year with the Islands before I went over with our oh. good friend Pierre Maguire over to Pittsburgh. But in 05, they played up in New Hampshire. And he was that, that underage, right? He was a 17-year-old yep. playing for North Dakota. And I'm going, oh, my God. You know, and, uh, That's what he reminds me of. Yeah. Yeah. It reminds yeah. me of tapes. Yeah. You know what it reminds me of, too? When we had Rex on, Pierre, the other day, and we were talking about, you know, one of the things they're trying to instill in these young kids coming into the game right now, just because everything has become so offensive-minded, so highlight reel, get it on – Twitter and Instagram, what have you. And that's sort of like the culture they're in. But then you get a player like Celebrini, who I would think when he gets to the next level is just going to be a coach's dream because he seems to have it instilled in him on the right way to play the game. Yeah. Yeah, he does. Yeah, he's – hey, those elite players, right, they do all – hey, I don't know the young man, um, but, I, you know, you, you ask. He does everything the right way, right? And that's okay, what allowed him to make, yeah, yeah, to make this transition. Um, and, you know, he's going to be, you know, he's going to be a great pro. And hopefully it's next year, so he's not hurting the Huskies, Pierre. You know, <laughs> you scored a goal, you were there, Pierre. I saw it on TV, right? I mean, that's a pretty good spot, you know. Uh, on that a thing was hammered, Jimmy. Yeah. He shot that thing with a purpose. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Shoot it and, uh, for both small guys, him and, you know, Bedard, that puck comes off their stick pretty quickly, right? Really I mean, you, know, you, know how to, you got a good release. Really Go ahead, Pierre. Well, Jimmy Murphy, I just got to compliment our guest, Jimmy Madigan. I'm serious. Northeastern University has always had tremendous sports. They really have. Jimmy's helped take it to another level. It's just not as a coach, but as a management person. And I know how hard he works. And, Jimmy, I know where you've been. I know what you've been doing this week. We're so grateful that you took the time to come with us. It's on campus Friday, and I couldn't think of a better guest to have on than you. I mean yeah. that sincerely. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. We go back a long way, and uh, 
Um, you've always been complimentary and, and it goes back the same way to you and Jimmy and obviously Pierre, you know, I go back a long way in, in yep. your career and, and what you've done and what you've accomplished. And, and, and at the end of the day, we're talking hockey, right? What greater, what's better than that? We're talking yeah. hockey, right? And we can go the collegiate game, the pro game and, you know, and yep. it's, you know, we're talking about something we have passion and love for. Jimmy, sure. we used to, well, Jimmy Madigan and I used to drive around recruiting players together, except we worked for different schools. I showed you that we were still friends. Yeah, yeah. So Dan, Dan Ratushny, I remember one year ago. Oh, Dan and the P and Danny Ratushny. Yeah. Like, <laughs> well, for our viewers out there, too, I want to just say, so the first time I ever got really close up to the Stanley Cup, was in 2009. And I want to bring this up because this is the man that made it happen. I want everybody to see this picture if we have it, guys. There it is. Look at us then, there eh? There then he moves. I don't know what's with my sideburns and my uh, facial hair, but... Uh, you, 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 you had a different look back then, Murph, you know? Yeah. <laughs> oh. So, you know, I was so fortunate. You know, Ray Shiro, who's a good friend, and, you know, to Pierre and my, myself, and, you know, he's been... Very helpful to the Madigan family. He hired, not, he hired two Madigans. He hired myself in 06, and he hired my daughter, you know, uh, six years ago. And, you know, he said he made a mistake on the first Madigan hire, and he got it right the second time. But he, the cup was coming through because Tommy Fitz was, this, you know, was, was the assistant coach in that team, player development. And, you know, Tommy went up to coach the team that that's the last third of the season and was a big part of winning the cup. Uh, with Danny Bowsman, the team, and the cup had to come into town for him. We had a defenseman who lived in Rhode Island, um, you know, so it had to be in the area. Kevin Stevens. Um, yeah. So Ray said, "The cup's coming to you." And all the other scouts were all jealous because now it was coming to me, and I was only going to get it for a half day, and Kev was going to get it for the other half. Well, yeah. Kev then called me about halfway through and said, "I'm just going to send some people over. You take it for the whole day." And I went, are you sure? So we had it the whole day at our house and yeah. we had a drop on and it was a lousy summer, but it was July 15th of 06. The sun was beautiful. It we was, hired a photographer. It wasn't too humid. It was no, great. We got it. We got, you know, you, you bring a keg of beer in Pierre, then everyone's coming, right? We got a keg <laughs> of beer. Everyone came. Um, it, it was great. Patrick Foley was there and, and working with us. Um, was His dad was an alum and Patrick Foley's father was, was on the on the Milton Police Force. He was on the on the bikers. He brought in the whole biker unit around the area, so they all yeah, came in like fifteen of them in unison, right? So it was awesome. Uh, yeah. It was a great it was a great day. I'm yeah. glad you were there, Murph. Yeah, it was a great experience. I appreciate. It. Thank you. Yeah, well, this has been great, guys. We got, we got to get uh, you on again. Jim. Special. He's special. I'm just telling. Yeah. Not because he's here. I'm just telling. We could do this for three hours. <laughs> yeah. We probably could. You know. Yeah. Well, Good for sure. So here's the plan, though, Jimmy. This is important. Jimmy Murphy's working this out. We're going to do a live remote before game one of the Bean Pot the first Monday of February. I know you guys are in the early game at 5 o'clock. Yeah. We're trying to set it up. And if we do, we're going to try to get in a, a group of former Bean Pot players and management people to come. And you will definitely be getting an invite once Jimmy Murphy sets it up. Love to. Love to. Yeah. You just tell me when and where. I enjoy. Right. I, I enjoy. Uh, and then you're going to get me a ticket to go to the game, Jimmy. <laughs> you talking Jimmy Murphy or Jimmy Madigan? <laughs> Jimmy Madigan. You know who I'm talking to. <laughs> Whatever you need, my friend. Whatever you need. We'll sneak hey, in. Worse, worse think, comes to worse. I think Don't about worry. my stay in Motrama. I think you still have enough chips, Pierre. You can catch. Yeah, you, you know that. You're all. You and Tim are always welcome there. You know that, need, my friend. You You've got that. Yeah. Good stuff. Good stuff. We appreciate good you joining us, Jim. Uh, good luck. I hope the boys win. They're up in Vermont tonight, eh? No, we're home tonight. So we got oh, your home. Okay. home tonight, tomorrow. We're a big weekend uh, for us. And, and Nesson, uh, too. It's, uh, I, I, no, I don't think it is. Uh, on no, yeah, I don't think it is. Uh, okay. They were plugging yeah, something during a Bruins game for you guys. I forget. Yeah, I think it's on. Uh, it's streaming tonight on one of those other stations. But okay. uh, you put money yeah. on the board when you play UVM because that's where you started your coaching career. Yeah, you know, Coach Gilligan was great to me to give me that start. But uh, Pierre, you know this is college athletics. We can't. We can't wager. It's against NCAA <laughs> rules. You know. Oh, is that what it is? Jeez, <laughs> we forfeit a lot of games. <laughs> <laughs> It's friendly, <laughs> friendly <laughs> gatherings and ways. Right. Oh, Good thanks stuff, for having, guys. Thanks for having me on, guys. Appreciate yeah, it. Right. Thank, you. Thank, you. Thank you. Thank you. Northeast, Jim Madigan joining Pierre McGuire and I here. Man, that was that was okay. fun.
can I just tell you right now, he's a special friend, okay? And we did we played against each other a lot growing up. And he was a tough he was a tough guy. I'm just telling you yep. the fact. He's a tough guy, and we had some pretty tough guys as well. But uh, gentlemen, that guy's a gentleman. He's really smart, and he is so loyal to that institution called Northeastern University. They're so fortunate to have him. I'm just telling you. Yeah. Um, he, he's a special human being. He is. He's a very, very good friend. Um, we do a lot, and I really have a lot of time for him. I really do, Jimmy. You know, Pierre, one thing I love about him, and I mean, obviously, because of the moment I just showed everybody there, what I did share with him, yeah. he's going to remember that. But even if that didn't happen, right, even if we didn't share that moment together, he remembers everybody. Like oh, he remembers yeah. where he met you, the conversation. He's, he's very sharp, like just like Scotty Bowman. And, and he takes the time. He can't, he, that, he referenced that at the 2022 draft in Montreal. I was meeting up there. He came over to me and yeah. I hadn't seen, I hadn't seen Jimmy in about, I don't know, seven years, Pierre. And he yeah. comes home and says, Murph, how you been? And he hugs me and it just, he's just like, I know you said he's, he's got a tough side. But he's got a heart too. He's got no, a huge he's, heart. he's a really a good human Yeah, no, gigantic. Any person that ever had a chance to play for him uh, benefited. He used to bring me in to speak to his team, and and it was just such an honor to go into Northeastern and actually spend time with them and speak to them. Um, it meant a lot to me. I can tell you that. Whenever I was doing a game in Boston, I'd always try to get down to Northeastern, either watch him practice or or to talk with the coaches or the players. It was really special. Yeah, it's good stuff. It's good stuff. Well, it looks like we've got a lot of people that have been enjoying this uh, in our comments section. Should we open it up here? Yeah, yeah, let's go. Uh-huh. Let's do it. we got a few minutes left. Let's open yeah. this up. Uh, what do we got? Hey, boys, it's my 31st. This is from Mitch Balin. It's my 31st, 34th birthday today. Do you think my Habs make any moves before the deadline? And do you think uh, it could be Matheson? Uh, first of all, happy birthday to yeah, you, Mitch. Yeah, I hope you have a good birthday. one. Many more. Um, Pierre, you know, I know we don't like to speculate on specific no. players, but I think it's a, you know, just big picture. I would think they're going to be very active, eh? They'll be active. I, I think they'll probably move a goalie before they move anything else. They still want to play important games here as they go forward. Uh, there's a development phase, too. You know, we talked about Setterquist being traded to Laval. Uh, yesterday, and, and I, you can see they're trying to upgrade so that they can make a playoff push uh, in their division um, in the American League so those younger players can play more important games. But I, I would say to say how active they're going to be, I, I don't know. Um, but I do think they're going to move a goalie, and I wouldn't be surprised if they move maybe a little bit more than a goalie. But I'm not going to throw names out there. I think it's irresponsible. Yeah. Speaking of goalies, Pierre, I just, I'm just going to throw this out there. You don't yeah. have to comment on it, but it is – Starting to gain a lot of steam. A uh, couple, couple big names in the biz have kind of hinted at it. Something could be going on with uh, Elvis Merlikin, Elvis Merlikins, and yeah. we've referenced him before. Yeah. It, he's on record. Actually, we can talk about this. I mean, it's not yeah. speculation. Aaron Portsline interviewed him. He made it clear to Aaron, I, I did not request a trade, but I have given the Columbus Blue Jackets permission to find me a new home if needed. Yeah. I understand it. He was very nice. It was very respectful. He said it might just be time for a new fresh start for all yeah. of us involved. Yeah, they traded Yarmo Kikalainen traded uh, Corpusalo last year to Los Angeles. They have Spencer Martin, who they got from Vancouver on waivers after they got Casey dismissed. Spencer's a real good goalie. Yeah. I'm sure they have other goaltenders in their future that they're looking at. So that wouldn't surprise me. They're still a ways away. And we just had Mark Recchi on. They're still a ways away from really – taking the next step and you need more assets to do it. You really do. Yeah, and, you know, Pierre, and forgive me for forgetting the poor, the poor kid's name, the goalie that passed away a couple summers back oh, that he was close yeah, to. No, no, I know. So just knowing some people in the Columbus organization say, <coughs> excuse me, he may have, he really has had a tough, obviously you lose a friend. He's had a tough time moving on after that. Yeah, and, no. yeah, you know, yeah. maybe, maybe it's great. For him too, just get out of there, get a new start. I hope he does well because, by all accounts, he seems like a great dude, like just a good guy, a good teammate to have. So, hopefully, that works out for all parties involved. Let's go to the next question. Excuse my ignorance, but why is the tournament called the Bean Pot? I gotta say, I don't know off the top of my head. I'm gonna have to go to Doctor Google here. No, you'll have to go to the Google, but I do know this is that. Uh... 
they used to, I think they used to eat baked beans in it, believe it or not. Okay, so th this is what Google's telling me. After Harvard was crowned the inaugural champion, Walter Brown, who had purchased the Bruins before, donated a trophy that is still awarded today. I have ordered a silver bean pot as a perpetual trophy for this tournament, to which we will now name it the Bean Pot. And it stuck. There you go. There you go. Walter Brown. Walter he's, Brown. He's, he's the they have an arena. Do you need that to Walter They did. Brown. It's still there. It's, it's still, still there. there. The women play there. Yes, they do. Yep. So, uh, all right, let's go to the next question. What interest would the Bruins have in a player of Zegers' talent when he returns? Year got away from the contract negotiations. Seems like a good partner if they want to keep her and Bruins want a center. Um, I, yeah. I don't know. I, I, don't I can't know either. Yeah. He's a New England guy, obviously. He grew up in uh, Armagh, New York, and he played for Mid Fairfield before he went to BU. Yeah. Um, so I don't, I don't know. I mean, it's hard to say. I don't think, I will say this. If, in fact, Trevor goes back in the market and Pat Verbeek tries to move him, especially now that they have Cutter Goche, um, there won't be a shortage of suitors. There'll be numerous teams that would have significant interest in Trevor. For sure. It's going to be an interesting thing to watch for sure. I got a feeling, Pierre, if something happens with him, it could be more of a draft day thing. I don't think it's going to be a deadline thing. I, I don't see that being a deadline deal either. Yeah. I think it's more of a Especially with him being hurt right now too. So. Yeah. yeah. Okay, next question. There's a rumor in Montreal the Habs promised Sean Moynihan yeah. a trade to a <laughs> Pierre and I were talking about this. And this is from uh, Fishing, by the way. At the deadline, do they make the trade if they're in ninth position in the East? Now, that's a good question. We don't even have that's to, a great question. And we don't I have say, to talk about specific players when we answer that part of the question. So I'd go say, ahead. I'd say the answer is yes, and I do think that they will move him. Uh, they understand where they are in their development as well. And when you look at the roster, actually, and you think about Suzuki as one, Doc is two, and let's just say, for the sake of argument, they have somebody else at three. I don't think they signed Sean Monahan to be a number three center. So I think he gets moved on. Um, yep. You know, but I, I don't know the answer. But I would be stories like that don't leak, yeah, unless somebody puts it out there on purpose. So I, I that was a smoke signal, as I told I mean, you here yes. before the show. That was a smoke signal, if I've ever seen one. Don't forget the Canadian scouts are in meetings right now. Yep. Um, so they're in season meetings. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right. We'll go to another question. We got time for maybe two or three more here. Yep. Do the Flyers sell at the deadline? That's a great question. I don't know if they will. Um, I think they're obviously very realistic towards being a playoff team right now. Mm -hmm. uh, and we've talked about this right from the beginning. John Tortorella and his staff deserve a huge amount of credit. Bradshaw has done a great job with a lot of those defensemen. Yep. Um, the addition of Drysdale, we'll see what that does for their team. They've got stability and goal. And you talked about Urson the other day and obviously uh, with Carter Hart. So there's a lot of good stuff going on in Philadelphia. It's going to be interesting to see the second half is harder because um, the game changes a little bit. We'll see what they adapt. maintain. But if they can maintain, I think that they might make a deal to get in the playoffs. Here's the one thing, and they know this in Philly. They're not going to tell, tell you. The season ticket sales aren't what they used to be. So usually when you make the playoffs, it helps your season ticket base for the next year. So I think there might be a premium on trying to make the playoffs for them. All right, guys, there's one specific question I want to go to at the end. I'm going to take one more, and I want to close it with Chad Laylaws. I hope the production crew sees it there with the Bruins symbol. All right, we'll do it now. We'll do it now. So, listen, I got a good one. I saw this, and we were just talking great stories with uh, with Jimmy there. Oh, I good ones from there. And I bet Pierre does too. Pierre, I'm going to make mine quick, and then we'll go to yours. Uh, my most notable memory in the old Boston – well. Hands down was, uh, you know, the, the last hurrah when they closed it down against the Canadians and they brought, you know, Ray Bork and Donnie Sweeney wheeled Norman Levier out uh, to the ice and they brought him around the ice. And, you know, and then when they did it again this year for the, uh, the anniversary, uh, there wasn't a dry eye in the house. But in terms of crazy memories, so Pierre, I don't know, and you guys played, the, you played this Bruins team in the next round. Mm -hmm. So 1992. The Bruins mm -hmm. sweep the Montreal Canadiens, okay? Mm -hmm. Peter Doris, remember him? Absolutely. Ended up going to Anaheim, University of New Hampshire player. Yep, Absolutely. yep. and he's now coaching uh, high school hockey in Maine. There you go. Uh, in Portland area, yeah. I just read a story about it. So 
Uh, Peter Doris scores the empty netter with about, I don't know, 42 seconds left. And the, the place just explodes. I mean, they're sweeping. You got to remember, up until 88, the Bruins hadn't beaten the Canadians in 42 tries in the playoffs, okay? Right. And so they're, they're still getting used to this whole beating the Canadians in the playoffs thing. And, and the Garden, you know how tight and how loud it could get here. They're going nuts. So things start coming on the ice, and they had to stop the game. And, you know, they're starting to clean the ice. And and this guy says next to me, and I just do it. I don't see what he's actually doing. I he says, "Can you hold this?" And he gives me a gives me a Patrick Waugh jersey. The next thing I know, he pulls out a lighter, lights it on fire, grabs it, and throws it on the ice pier. <laughs> and there's a burning Patrick Waugh jersey on the ice, and Waugh sees it, and he's like waving at you know the the bull game there. Get over here! What is it? Oh. And he's, he's like, what the hell is going on here? And they come over and they got to hose it down with the extinguisher. It was, it was hilarious. So that's, that's my crazy garden memory, Pierre. But I know I got, yours would probably beat mine. I got, no, that's a good one. I've got three pretty good ones. I'll try to make them tight. Uh, 91 Eastern Conference Final. We're opening up games one and two in the old Boston Garden. And Bob Johnson was great in terms of building guys' self-confidence. And everybody was writing about how they were going to stifle our quick counter game because the neutral zone was so much smaller. So Bob Johnson goes on the ice before the first practice. We come in a day early, and he has a measuring tape. And he gives it to one of the assistant coaches, and he says to him, skate down to the other blue line. And he's standing on one blue line, and the assistant coach goes to the other. He goes, this is the same size as what we have at the Civic Arena in Pittsburgh. So they're not stifling anything in this building. So that's my first the Bruins, that mental block. Yeah, yeah. And the Bruins yeah. management were watching this and they, you can't go on the ice with a measuring tape. What is he doing? <laughs> so that was that was funny. That's one. Second, I remember in 1992, we we're up three games to nothing on the Bruins. Okay. So it's very hot. It's really, really it's late May. Oh, yeah. No AC in the old garden. Remember that. No air, no air conditioning in the rooms, and it's so Scotty Bowman goes to one of our trainers and he gives him the team credit card. And he says, here's what you're going to do. The kid's name was Bubba. He says, Bubba, you're going to go down to one of those stores and you're going to buy a portable air conditioner. And we're going to surprise the players. So when they come back for the game tonight, we're up three to nothing. So we're going to sweep them, we think. And they're going to show up and it's going to be nice and cold and the dressing room is going to be a great surprise. So we all come back at around 3.30, quarter to 4. The room is on fire. It's so hot. The kid bought a heater and not an air conditioner and turned it up full speed <laughs> and left. So you can ask anybody that was in the bowl game. We couldn't change in the dressing room. It was too hot. So they had to bring in these uh, curtains in the hallway. Guys are getting changed in the hallway with the fans walking outside the curtain. You can't make this up. And we're going, oh, my God, we could get killed tonight. We ended up winning the game. Mario put yeah. on a show. And so that's the second one. And then the third one, I'm coaching Hartford, and it's the old garden back then. Hartford, Boston. Oh, yeah, we talked about this. They had Tommy McVie and, and Brian Sutter, and I had, you know, my guys, and we were we were playing well. And all of a sudden, my neck gets really hot and itchy. It feels like I got stung by a bee. So I go up to our trainer, and I say, hey, bud. Like, is there a bead back behind my neck or something? He goes, no, there's a coin back there. So he says, pull your shirt out. So I pull it out. The coin comes out. The people sitting above us on the second deck, they yeah. were eating up coins and dropping them on our bench, and one went down my shirt. <laughs> so that was old school. Oh, my God. Those yeah. are my three Boston Garden stories that I was involved with. And I love it. What, I love what a it. place. What a place. Oh, yeah. You know, Good stuff. I, I remember us winning um, the ECAC championships. We beat Cornell in the semifinal, and we beat UVM in the final. They had John LeClaire. They had a really good team. Oh, wow. They really did. And I remember we won there, and that's the first time I was ever at ice level in that building. And it was. I looked around after we won, and – I said, I can't believe this is a bill. And I watched the Montreal Canadiens win in all those years growing up. Yeah. In Montreal, and now I had a chance to win. Yeah. So, to me, it was a remarkable That's play. Awesome. I love yeah. going in the Boston Garden. It was so compact. That's what I loved about yeah. it. Just it the way the company would hang down. Yeah. yeah. It was great. Yeah. It was good stuff. And Especially if you were winning. 
If you were winning, it wasn't so great. And I'm sure you know this trivia. Who was the coach of the 1991-92 Bruins that you guys beat? Rick Bonus. That's right. And somehow he got fired after that. I have no idea. Well, you know, it was even it was more a miracle amazing. run to the to the conference final. It was and they so scored. amazing what Rick did with that team. And I'm I'm going to tell you oh. straight up, they had over 55 players that season in the lineup. Yep, because of injury. Cam was, Neely was gone almost the whole season. Oh, no, it was a, it was amazing. And then they fired him, and they brought in Brian Sutter. And yeah. I left Pittsburgh to join Brian Burke and Paul Holmgren in Hartford, and Brian Sutter came in with Tommy McVie. <laughs> And so both organizations, Hartford and, and Boston, had new people. And yeah, for two years that was a pretty that was fun. Yeah, that was, fun those are fun games. Those are fun There's games. A lot of stuff going on. Good stuff. Well, listen, let's end it on that, guys. We'll close it up with that. Those are just great stories. And and man, we got to get Jimmy on again. That was uh, oh, for before the bean pot. He's coming. Yeah. Okay, we're gonna do it. I'm gonna have to this weekend. I'm gonna buckle down. I'm gonna secure us a spot. I've been talking to a couple places, but so I'm gonna. On the I'm other gonna talk to I think Teddy Donato should be on. You know, he played in the bean pot yeah, and he's coached in the bean pot, and and he's a Boston guy. And I think he should be on. I think Greg Brown should come on, and you yep. know, Jay should. If we could get all four coaches that have actually played and coached in it for their teams, and I have no disrespect to Jerry Keefe, but yeah. he never played at Northeastern. He played at Providence. Right. Well, exactly. that's why we'd have Jimmy on just to balance it out. So we have all four guys yeah. at different times. So we're going to have a fist fight going. <laughs> you know? Jerry Keith, Matton on high school. He used to play with my, uh, my buddy, Chris Masters. You ever hear of Matton on? Oh, yeah. Sean McKechnie. Good hockey school. Sean yeah. McKechnie. Sean That's right. Matt, yeah. And uh, Pierce, which I think his name is Charlie. Marty, Marty Pierce. Marty Pierce. There we go. He's so I'm gonna tell you, you heard me tell Jimmy Madigan, though. About all those players we had. So Dick Flood, who was the head coach at Noble and Greenow, and Steve Sterling, who was the athletic director and head coach at Babson College, they set up this thing called Europa Cup. And I know what it was. It was yeah. a huge. It was huge. So one summer, I'm not kidding. Can you imagine? Billy Guerin, Tom, uh, Tony Amonti, Jeremy Roenick. Brian Leach. Brian, like all these guys. Teddy yeah. Donato, Chucky Hughes, all these guys. Bobby Kellogg. They were all there. Like we had Jimmy Madigan and I had all those guys on the ice. <laughs> it's like a like, scout's dream. It, man. it was unbelievable. Yeah. The, the place, the Babson Arena was flooded every night with scouts. Yeah. It was yeah. crazy. And you guys kind of, that kind of, if I'm not mistaken, Pierre, because there's so many of those type of tournaments and camps now. That kind of set the the foundation for that and in, in the platform, and then it. Yeah, that was a good one because we practiced too. You had three or four practices before you actually played a game. Yep. Um, the hockey night in Boston was huge. That, I was just gonna say that. Yep. They, yep. they they created an amazing brand. They really did hockey night in Boston. They deserve a lot of uh, uh, Lance Lafaro and Darby Yeager. I think were the two gentlemen that really started. They deserve a huge amount of credit. They developed a heck of a brand there. Um, but I can tell you Europa Cup was a brand of its own, and that was the creative genius of Dick Flood and Steve Sterling. They did a great job with that. Good stuff, good stuff. Well, listen, that was a great episode. We appreciate everyone. It's been another great week here on the eye test. Yeah. And uh, on-campus Fridays work. That's right. These on-campus Fridays are great. And by the way, Pierre, just uh, switching to NHL, in case anybody hasn't taken a little glance ahead at the schedule tomorrow, every single team is in action tomorrow on Saturday. So buckle up, enjoy the hockey. I mean, it, that's a hockey fan's dream. So I hope you guys can get some free time, get away this afternoon games, going right into the night, all through the, uh, into the Pacific games as well. So I'm, uh, I'm excited for that. It should be good. And Pierre, another good on-campus Friday, like you said, another great guest. We got bonus this week, which was nice. Yeah. Two on-campuses. So uh, looking forward to that. I want to thank our production crew. Thank everyone in the comment room. Uh, for Pierre McGuire, I'm Jimmy Murphy. This has been another edition of the Eye Test here on the Sick Podcast Network. Have a great weekend and enjoy the hockey. And that's a wrap. Hope you don't miss us too much until next time. Follow the Eye Test with Pierre McGuire and Jimmy Murphy on YouTube, Facebook, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts.